Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabeg people. Hey listeners, on the Hollow Hollow podcast, we have devoted the month of May to sex and politics. <laughs> and today's topic is alter Twitter or the alterverse in the Philippines and sexuality in the Philippines. But before we get into that, Sigs, let's catch up. What have you been up to pop culture wise? I am very excited as we recorded this. I've already seen two episodes of the second season mm. of The Flight Attendant. Ooh. Have you caught I can't that wait season? to see that. Have you caught, I the caught season, season, season one? Okay, good. Yes. Excellent. It's so, so fun. It is. And I was wondering, you know, after the first season where Kaylee Cuoco wakes up to a dead paramour after a drunken night as, as a flight attendant mm, in Asia, yes. what is the second season going to bring? And it does not miss for the first two episodes. It had you grinding going, you know, she's now an asset for the CIA. Mm, and fun. she's off to her usual hijinks. She's one year sober. Wow. And she's trying to maintain it. So now you wonder, how is this internal turmoil going to do it? And it does not miss for the first two episodes to suddenly bring it all in and have alternate plot lines going from her Ooh. AA group to where did Rosie Perez go? I was going to ask you. So she's is, still in it, right? Still Rosie Perez it. is still in it. And spoiler alert, Margaret Cho is in it. <gasps> oh, yeah. As oh. soon as I saw her in season Episode two, I'm like, this is amazing. Cheryl Hines is in it from Dad, like, and she plays like a CIA person. You still have Zaja Mamet, who I love, who plays her best friend, who's the lawyer, and she's located out in LA. And even like T.R. Knight is still in it, her brother. Oh my gosh! So you just think, oh, how is this going? And like for the first episode, you create an explosion on a mark that she's trying to follow. It starts out with a bang, and I'm very excited to see where it goes. Kaylee Cuoco is a great actress. Like I. Really, really like it, and I do not I know. I loved her in Charm. I loved she her. She was in, so great. Know. Charmed. I knew you were going to say Charm before yes, you said yes, Big Bang yes. Theory. Great actress. There's a reason why people love the show, and it's it has that great stuff. So I can't wait for you to tune in. We'll talk about it more when you see it. Other thing I'm watching. Mm-hmm. Listen, I've always stand the show. This is us. I love the jump aheads. I love this is the last season. We are literally at four episodes left. Yes, yes, and yes. There's always a hook, right? So the most recent episode I saw, there's always been a theme song to the show with no mm. words. And what right. they do is they had the matriarch who is suffering from Alzheimer's, Mandy Moore, Rebecca Pearson, actually sing the theme song at a wedding to her daughter. Oh, and she, she had the words. And you're like, I know this song. It was a wonderful tie-in. They're masterful writers. But only four episodes left. Mm. Like, I'm just like, oh, what are people going to do when this is over? Like, they're going to have to find <laughs> someone else to cry about. And I know the next plot is about trying to find out who someone slept with. But I'm like, I don't care for this. Like, get me right to, like, right. some meaty stuff. But I'm like, maybe I'm just mad because it's ending. After like six seasons, it's crazy. It, it is a TV show all about grieving, right? Like it's, I think it's that's a TV it. Show all about grieving. It is, and oddly enough, listeners, if you've been loyal listeners or hollow hollowers, I'd like to say, I've always liked shows about grief. 
whether it's WandaVision, Fleabag. Yes. It is about grief. But anyway, if you're tuning into that, yes, I'm a little sad it's over. I'm sure I'll have more to say in a few episodes next. What have you been into pop culture wise? Two things that I wanted to tell you about. One is, is, is that we finally caught up and caught up just in time to see the crowning of America's Next Drag Superstar oh, for wow. RuPaul Drag Race season 14. 14. And Ugh. yes, and so this time they actually had the final show and crowning moment in Las Vegas because RuPaul herself has opened up a residency at the Flamingo Hotel. I didn't know and that. Casino and Resort. Yeah, so you can actually watch RuPaul's Drag Race live review, which no I think is way. really smart. Yeah, yeah, because the other big drag show, or I guess it's big enough drag show, in addition to all the impersonator stuff that you would normally see in Las Vegas, is that Senor Frogs at Treasure Island, where they have drag brunch. <laughs> and no so, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's... It really smart of RuPaul to do that, to kind of memorialize the cast and have like rotating people kind of come in. And you can see like it kind of constantly having a different set of maybe five to eight drag queens kind of coming in and then kind of doing their stint and then leaving and all of that stuff. So you could literally do that drag show there. So then she actually had the finale there. And instead of a top four or top three, she actually had a top five. So it was a final oh, wow. five. And, yeah. And they went back to an old version format of the finale. So usually what's happened in recent years is they brought four people in, then they've done like lip sync for their lives. And then, you know, you get the final lip sync and stuff like that. Yeah. But this time they've gone back to like, each girl literally showcasing a particular song that would be, of course, released and streaming on iTunes and Spotify yeah. the next immediately. day. Yeah, immediately. And then Rue choosing the top two from there to lip sync for their lives and stuff like that. So it came down to a Sacramento queen versus a Denver queen. Oh, and wow. the Denver queen came out on top. And so oh, no way. Really interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Michael was very happy with the results. Okay. I mean, I was very happy with the top two. And at the end of the day, if you make it to the top five, like you're gold in, in a lot of ways. It all depends on what you do with your 15 minutes of fame and if you can parlay that into much, much more. So that's one thing that we had going on pop culture wise this last week and a half or so. The other is Uncharted with Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. Tell Did you get me. to see that? No, and I was going to actually ask if you had seen it. So how I was it? You went, it? you went to the theaters and? It was a prequel to the Sony PlayStation game Uncharted Drake's Fortune. Or Like there's actually four or five. I can't remember. I think it's actually four video games. I think a fifth one is out soon. And this kind of serves as a prequel to it. It was fascinating. Like Drake... The fortune hunter, or soon-to-be fortune hunter, so we see how he gets his mark as a fortune hunter, comes out after Ferdinand Magellan's ships. And so there was lots of reference to the Philippines in Uh. in a lot of ways. And so, you know, Ferdinand Magellan and these, like, 17, a group of 18 or 17 people sail around the world to find gold, instead find the Philippines, but then end up hoarding this gold and then off as an adventure 500 years later, looking for this gold somewhere in the Philippines at at the end of it all. So it was just Uh. interesting to just kind of see that. And it was fun to see... Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, they had some really great banter. I have to say, though, there were times where it was like, 
Oh, that was a Spider-Man move. That was such a total oh, Spider-Man move. Such a gymnast, so, eh? Yeah. yeah, he's such a gymnast. And I had to just kind of like pause for a second and say, okay, this is not a Spider-Man film like that I'm yeah. watching. Ned's not going to show, I wish. you know, out of, <laughs> out of the corner of the screen or anything like that. But it was really fun. It was fun to just kind of hear the Philippines and Ferdinand Magellan and all of this stuff kind of mentioned a couple of times. I think it's a good Sunday afternoon action film to watch if you're trying to look for something to okay, watch cool. in the theaters or for the download and stuff like that. So fun. And then there's like two stingers at the end. Okay. And so it gives us the impression that there's probably going to be a sequel or at least a franchise. And I think I can't remember if it was Mark Wahlberg or Tom Holland that it said in some blog or something like that or some you know, entertainment magazine of some sorts, just saying that this is going to become a franchise. So I think it's got some potential. It's got some potentials. There were some parts where like, I thought they had like second app problems, but apart from that, it was just kind of fun to watch all the action and the stunts. And then there was this amazing air sequence, like yes, parachuting from the airplane air sequence. and the car. Yeah. Was yeah. And yeah. it was just kind of like, how did you do this, right? Like, how did you do this? It looked so amazing and it looked so real. And I was just like really impressed with how they kind of put that all together. I think you should see it, Sigs. I think you would like it. You know, it would be just kind of fun. And then just fun to hear Philippines references all the way throughout. I I think that is great because I get so like tangled up with Tom being part of like the Spider-Verse. Well, and... What's really interesting about him being in the Spider-Verse, and we're going to get to the Ultraverse in just a second here, which is is that Spider-Man and Uncharted, they're both part of a Sony cultural properties. Uh, And so you can see how Sony just probably said, we want Tom for Uncharted. But yeah. So from the Spider-Verse to the Ultraverse, that is today's pop culture topic, right? Mm -hmm. So Sigs, give our listeners a bit of background on how we got to this topic for the month of May and Sex and Politics Month. So it's really interesting. When we plan in August 2021, we plot out months and just started, oddly enough, we curate our seasons and we're looking for a theme for May. And we know that in the Philippines, there's going to be voting and they think that's really good. And I go, what pairs with politics? And we both said sex. Now, when we stopped there, we were trying to figure out what would be interesting? And Jez, mm. you just meant Kuya, you just said there's an alter Twitter. Have you ever heard of that? And I'm like, alter? I've, I've never heard of this mm-hmm. whatsoever. And I'm intrigued. You're like, well, it's this whole like universe. And I'm like, universe of what? And you're like, well, people can express themselves. I think you left it at that. Like, it's very yes. interesting. And I'm like, oh, and in my head, I'm like, is it like the deep dark web? I had no clue what it's. About And I'm gathering, because you're well-versed on it, you've read academic papers on this, that I'm like, I've never heard this as being a Filipino in North America, born in Canada, that mm-hmm. I've, I've never heard of it. And then you sort of introduced it to me. I think we both think it would be intriguing to our listeners to hear about this community that's been created. Like, not very long, right? Is it a young community from 2017, 2016? Yeah, so it's not more than four or five years old. And so out there for our listeners is it's known as either the Alterverse or the Alter Twitterverse or the Alter Community. And yes, Siggy is right that last year we were planning this, something that I came across in some of my searches of academic articles as I was looking for things, all things Filipino, this came up and it was really fascinating. It was like, what is this all about? And so 
if you're asking what is the Alterverse or the Alter Twitterverse, it is a digital space on Twitter where participants can flirt with one another and be sexually suggestive or sexually explicit with one another while hiding key parts of their identities. And what's interesting about all of this is, is that there's a creation of what they call of an alter or alternative or second account that's both public but anonymous. So what's unique about it is, is that people try to maintain their privacy but still be authentic to oneself and express themselves. And one Twitter handle, Alter Filipinas, defines it as the use of a pseudonym or second account used to express oneself in a much more discreet way without risking one's true identity. So if you go onto Twitter and you look for the Alter community, what you will find is just anonymized amateur porn. And so people like blur out their faces mm-hmm. or blur out key details or blur out tattoos and stuff like that. Listeners, you might be wondering, like, why are we talking about this? Why are you, <laughs> why, why is Singing just talking about this? And I think it's easy to look at this community and just kind of dismiss them for what looks like just a bunch of amateur porn enthusiasts, but it's much more than that. And what I've discovered in some of the academic articles that I've read is, is that participants partake in the community as a way of not also risking their true identities and reputations. Because of course, if for some of them, that if they do come out, what might end up happening is, is that they not only harm themselves, but they could harm their families because of judgment or gossip. But it's so fascinating, Sigs, because what I discovered in reading some of these academic articles is, is, is that there's a bunch of different people that participate. There are like what they call exhibitionists, those who post personal thoughts and stories basically about their sex lives or they come out as being confessionals of sorts or sex blogs or they share their opinions and they also share a lot of original but anonymized sexual content, mm-hmm. you know, which is really interesting because when these academic articles that I read talk about like what is the benefit for some of these exhibitionists, they all talk about how being in this alter community values expressionism and experimentation. Like people actually welcome it and people get social currency out of it. And then like another group of people that participate in this community are known as wholesome alters. So these people are people who post personal thoughts and opinions, just like anyone else using a Twitter account and then follow these exhibitionists, but they don't post anything of themselves And then there are retweeters or people that are retweeting alters that are primarily concerned with just retweeting what exhibitionists and wholesome tweeters do as well. And then, of course, just like most other communities, there are lurkers and posers. So lurkers are just exactly that, people that sign up to get into these accounts or into this community. And their sole function is just to follow other alter accounts while there are also posers as well, people catfishing to be exhibitionists, you would think to yourself, there's even catfishers that are catfishing (laughs) that are anonymous, which just like my head just spins. And then also related to this community are for pay alters. So these are individuals who monetize any of their engagement in this community. So it's like they will post suggestive content or you can find other or more content not posted on Twitter, but you'd have to pay for it. So yeah, so this is kind of what I found, Sigs, in reading all of this. It's so 
interesting because when you told me about it and I was reading articles, in my head, I would think of like, you know, how some people's other social media platforms like Instagram, you have like some teenagers hiding from their parents or adults where they have a fake Instagram. You know, they might have their normal official social handle and then they have a Finsta, fake Instagram of, you know, maybe more suggestive. And in this sense or whatever, from this mentality in North American, it's more sexier pictures or something that wants to separate from their selves. It's still themselves, but... But I think it isn't more of a masquerade, right? It's usually just hiding from a parent or someone that's trying to control it. And I'm very intrigued. I'm like, I wonder, and it's just me musing, and I'm sure you're going to probably answer this question. Mm -hmm. Why Twitter? Well, so it's interesting, right? Because what makes it unique and why Twitter is this is that it's different from social media dating. Okay. You know, so gay men would go on Grinder, heterosexual folk, go on Tinder. You know, queer folk will also go on Tinder, Tinder and stuff like that. Interestingly enough, around the world, Grinder and Tinder, if you go onto those sites, yes, they're for hookups, but sometimes you may actually find some friends after the fact, you know? And right. so but here in the Philippines, apparently. Those hookup apps are just hookup apps. Once you have the hookup, nothing else happens. So I think people are longing and craving in the Philippines for more than just a hookup. Even if there is a hookup and it's the first contact, people are wanting more if you will, engagement or interaction. So it's more than just anonymous sex. So other social media dating apps are much more oriented towards that. So that's why I think Twitter. I think the other thing about Twitter is is, is that, you know, a hashtag becomes your key into this community, right? So if you go hashtag alter PH, so PH standing for the Philippines, you will find the whole community conversation of like-minded individuals, which is different than a social media app right where it's just a one-to-one interaction when you go hashtag alter ph you get the full community dialogue on whatever they're talking about which is fascinating because they end up talking about information about health advice or sexual health or opinions in politics in Mm -hmm. terms of who you know might people be voting for so that's what makes it unique it's more than just social media dating and hookup apps or sliding to someone's dms and it's more than just anonymous sex oriented posts it is about actually finding a community of like-minded individuals And I think it's actually easy to dismiss this community just only being an outlet for sexual gratification. And what scholars and and culture critics are identifying is how this whole online community and digital space has become Mm -hmm. a safe space, really, to go explore these feelings and explore these feelings of these marginalized individuals about their sexuality or about their sexual interests or about their kinks or about their fetishes and stuff like that. And so being free of judgment. So it's a safe space. That's the most interesting and ironic thing about it, even though it is sexually charged. Are the guidelines on Twitter a little bit different from other social media platforms I'm gathering, like Facebook and Instagram? Is that why maybe there's a little bit more, I guess, freedom per se in Twitter for these type of communities? Yeah. So I think on Facebook, obviously, you won't be able to post things that are generally not safe for work. Like full be nudity, able to do that yeah. On Twitter, although it really makes you wonder what Elon Musk will do, considering that he's I know. just How? bought Twitter. Here, $44 billion. And like, this is breaking. This is Monday, April 25th, as we're recording right. this, where I'm like, oh, that's going to be interesting. I was just curious because I'm just from my peace of mind that you said this originates more in the Philippines. And I know we'll talk about that further. It's very interesting because I'm like, 
I think there are, those social media platforms have those avenues, but the way that you presented some of these things seems a little bit more different than what you can it, find on Facebook yeah. and Instagram or Tumblr per se, right? Yeah, because I think people come on to not just talk about sex, but their authentic lives in a lot of ways. Because yeah. let's face it, Instagram is really about kind of presenting your best face forward. forward. Exactly. Facebook is really about kind of letting people know about your accomplishments and so people can kind of check up and see how you're doing and stuff like that. But this whole conversation, although it is sexually charged to begin with, there is a sense of community that people find. So, huh. of course, yes, people mm. join because of their libido, but later find a community that becomes really, again, a safe place to feel body positive or people feel free to express themselves. Or scholars have even suggested that this community helps avoid stigma in a lot of ways. Oh, Other people have gone on to this community and have then felt validation about their sexuality, whether it be their expression of masculinity or their expression of their body ideals. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, others end up actually making new social connections and making new friends. Now, this is what's really interesting, Sigs, is is that one of the studies that talked about how one of the first things people find out is what university you had gone to or are currently attending, because that would actually very much tell the person what kind of engagement that they were going to have, which kind of reminds me of when we'd say to each other, like, you know, if our one of our friends, David, was from Queens University, we'd be like, oh, Dave, we would just humor Dave, right, in terms right. because he's a Queens guy, right, as opposed to us being Western guys, you know, and that <laughs> brings on a whole bunch of connotations. And I thought that's no different than us kind of like being introduced to other people and finding out what school they'd gone to thinking, oh, you're that type of collegiate individual. And so the same thing gets replicated here where people actually find out, oh, what university? And then they have codes by mascot. You know, if you're an eagle-loving altar, that means that you went to the University of Ateneo uh, Manila, right? So oh, forth wow. and so on. Yeah, it's so yeah. Inter- It's just fascinating that there's a whole set of shared cultures and norms and practices apart from just the sex, you know, and that's why I think it's easy to dismiss this community just being about sexual gratification. It's much more than that. It's actually making new social connections and making new friends. And then subsequently, people feel less isolated, which I think is really fascinating. That's the point of a community, you know, where people end up getting emotional support. Yeah, I interrupted you there. Oh, no, no worries. It's interesting how you mentioned that hashtag for them to be identified to what school they went to. When really the alterverse is really to... I guess maybe just take off the face. Yes. Right? Yeah. And you did mention too, like it looks like you're trying to find community and find like-minded people, not just a hookup. Like you, you clearly said earlier, like this isn't a dating app. This isn't Tinder. This isn't Bumble. This isn't Hinge, etc. Plenty of Fish, Ashley Madison, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're looking for a little bit further than just that sexual hookup, which I find really intriguing. And it just makes yeah. really interesting points, right? So Yeah, I mean, I think one can think about it as a sex party in a digital space, but not everyone is always there to have sex. Or if people have finished having sex at a sex party, then what ends up end up happening is, is, is that people make friends or get friendly or whatever the case may be. It is also fascinating, too. Like we, I was talking. 
talking about the exhibitionists that participate in all of this, some of the scholarly articles had talked about how, you know, sometimes people gain social capital. So in addition to people feeling validated and affirmed, they feel affirmed when their content is posted and shared. And so there's a, a sense of pride that kind of comes out of this. And we would wonder about that. But, you know, clearly, you know, people are getting something really positive from all of this. But I think the most fascinating thing, you know, that I think was revealed in some of the scholarly studies is that people come into this community to actually obtain information about safe sex practices, health advice, sexuality, how to manage families when they discover your sexuality or your kink or your sexual interests. Yeah. I just think that that was really fascinating. And I thought, wow, like, you know, you don't go to a doctor, you don't go to a sex education counselor. It all kind of comes from this community. People actively talk on this community about kind of like safe sex and sexual practices that are healthy, what consent is and all of that. That's super interesting. Super, super interesting is kind of what I have found out about this community is, is, is that apart from getting your sexual gratification needs met, it has all of these other components that we've talked about, like feeling body positive, getting information, getting social capital, mm-hmm. feeling less isolated, emotional support, making you connections. It's like, huh, like this is a resource in a lot of ways. And And as opposed to like a social media dating app, which again is purely about hookups, this is about not only just hookups, but engagement and looking for meaningful interactions and developing trust. So there is like a big, huge conversation of how you develop trust in this community. And again, like the Altaverse basically becomes a gateway to other forms of communication and interaction. And then what ends up happening is that the familiarity over time leads to people meeting in real life and actually having friendships or intimate relationships so people find each other. The other thing to kind of talk about too is what scholars have have likened this Altarverse to is it's like attending a daily virtual underground masquerade ball, which Uh really reminds me of Eyes Wide Shut. Have you seen Eyes Wide Shut (laughs) with Nicole Kidman and Tom? I do remember seeing that in the mid-aughts, yes. Very, yeah, I always think the mask, anytime anyone says masquerade ball with the masks. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly what happens, right? So they go to this masquerade ball, people are having sex, eyes wide shut, really strange Stanley Kubrick film. I still have to kind of unpack it sometimes in my mind, (laughs) you know. But the interesting part is, is, is that in addition to the sexually charged environment, people have a chance to form meaningful relationships that are free from stigma and societal judgment. So I think that that's one of the most interesting things of all in terms of doing some research to tell you and tell our listeners about Alter Twitter or the Alterverse mm-hmm. for that matter. Now, like any other community, there's always a dark side to the Alterverse. Right. And so there's much discussion around consent. There's much discussion about exposure. So sometimes what happens is maybe some Some of the exhibitionists might not be so careful about how they anonymize themselves or Mm -hmm. that there's telling things in the environment that help identify that individual. So there's lots of discussion around kind of like, if you know who I am, don't say anything. That's the point of Alterverse. And then, of course, sex work sometimes attracts criminality. And so sex work is a part of this particular community. And then, of course, child pornography also sometimes gets part of the threaded conversations in this community. But other than that, though, 
the existence of, and in some ways the need for such a community really to me tells me or makes a commentary about the Philippines and what sexuality is all about in the Philippines. And I would also say that the existence of such a community suggests that, you know, the Philippines is a place and culture that essentially suppresses and restrains sexuality. I don't know, Sigs, if you have like any comments to make about it, that. It's totally, I, I think this is a little bit of us growing up. Like when our parents talk to us about sex, my mom would just be like, you know what? Growing up or whatever, Catholic household, Filipino values, your goal was to finish school, support your family. And like, if you happen to run into pregnancy or whatever, it sort of ruins or alters that journey of being successful and, mm-hmm. and not achieving the goal of your parents. And it's just interesting because when you said, you know, with sexuality in the Philippines, and it's, it's very interesting where it seems repressed. And I just want to call back to the episode where you and I talked about watching Hello Stranger. Right. Where there was right. a big build up and it was yes. two male characters where like they end up together and I'm like, Kuya, they didn't even kiss. Like yes, yes, that's yes. what happens when you fall in love with each other. And you're like, it's repressed. And I'm like, it's very interesting how the Philippines, I mean, yes, Catholic society or whatever, but some of the best drag people, like, right. you know what I mean? Yes. It, people that are running, like, all the uh, the pageantry and all that stuff are part of the LGBTQIA plus, like, community and, you know, from Gina Rossera. Like, it's very interesting how that is repressed, but it's still evident. And I, I don't know how it's still, like, expressed in the Philippines. I just think from our own, like... Growing up and being raised, I my mom's like, you know, in a Catholic family, they, my parents have, you know, educated about like the technicals, right? The birds and the bees and stuff like that. But it was almost viewed as a bad thing. You don't want people being slut shamed or you don't want to be, you know, a, a puta. You wanted to be good church going kid that was trying to achieve academics and try to make your family proud. Right. It was always like an issue. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And so sexuality is really about reproduction of kids. Sexuality really isn't to me necessarily sometimes flaunted, maybe sensuality, right? Which is kind of why maybe we see pageantry. But at the same time, there is this kind of underbelly. And the fact that a community like this has to exist really speaks to the idea how sexuality is indeed repressed or suppressed. And, you know, and I don't think that we're surprised by this because this really kind of... I think at least is a product of conservative Catholicism that has had an impact on our culture. Now, what's really interesting to note is the research out there that the Mm -hmm. Philippines, interestingly enough, is a leading global user of internet porn with thriving (laughs) online sex communities like the Altaverse. Isn't that interesting? That is so interesting. And folks, this is like according to Pornhub Insights 2019. Look it up. You'll see that the Philippines is in the top 10. And so for, you know, deeply Catholic country yeah. that has some really interesting attitudes about sex. It's fascinating that everybody's probably watching porn in the Philippines. So it's always kind of like Netflix in some ways where, you know, you ask people, oh, what do you like to watch? Oh, I love to watch documentaries and foreign <laughs> films. But if you actually watch what they watch on Netflix, they're all watching action films and like heroes and stuff like that. Right. Well, I'm sure if we did like a similar poll of people, it's like, oh, what do you do for fun? What do you think about sex? I don't watch any porn. I don't masturbate. I don't, you know, do any of this kind of stuff. When the reality is Pornhub tells us that like the Philippines is in the top 10 
in terms of using internet porn. Even before the United States, right? Was that Something like, the like stat? that. I know, like, I know that they were up there with the United States, but it's just kind of crazy making to kind of think about that. The existence is not only unique to the Philippines, like interestingly enough, right? Oh, yeah. That these alter communities exist, you know, not surprisingly in other East and Southeast Asian countries like Taiwan, Japan, South Korea, Indonesia, Vietnam, Hong Kong. However, the largest preponderance of the altars live within the Philippines. And I think that's, that's so interesting. A lot. Yeah, it's so interesting. Now, scholars suggest that the altar verse acts as a digital ghetto. You oh. know? And it's interesting, right? Because in some ways, maybe that's what the Philippines is doing, is ghettoizing sexuality that's outside of conservative Catholicism. And that the existence of a ghetto in any society is really representative of how society fails to integrate such individuals into their social fabric. And ghettos become a place where people separate their private life and their public persona. So to me, this really just says that the Filipino culture really fails to recognize different expressions of sexuality. So much so that people have to kind of come to this digital community to be able to express themselves fully. And this kind of always reminds me of how there was a time in my life, today now known as the gay neighborhood, the Church Wellesley Village in Toronto, mm-hmm. used to be the gay ghetto in the 80s and the 90s. In oh, really? I don't know if you've ever heard of the Church Wellesley Village being referred to as the gay ghetto at any point. Have no. I've never, I've never heard of that. Yeah, I used to hear it as the gay ghetto. Be, it would make me nervous kind of walking through the gay ghetto. It would be like, oh, what happens if someone saw me? And then I'd always be reminded, it's like, well, but if someone saw you in the gay ghetto, what, what are they doing in the gay ghetto as well? <laughs> <laughs> and then over time, as the community here in Canada, in Ontario has changed, yeah. has changed and it has then been integrated into the fabric, it's just now known as the Churchwell Village or the gay neighborhood or the gayborhood in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I just think to myself, it's interesting, right? So instead of a place, there's a digital space instead that people have found and have created in the Philippines to be able to safely express their sexuality. And so it just says, like, oh, the Philippines ghettoizes Philippine sexuality or the Philippines essentially and the Philippine culture ghettoizes sexuality. And again, if you're outside of the traditional norms, we don't want to see it. But you can be in this nice ghetto in this digital space known as the altarverse. You look like you have questions. It's just after a lot of the things that you just mentioned about the altarverse and stuff, even though it's not just about gay communities, people are searching for information that's valuable, whether it be about reproductive health and mm-hmm. like education. Yeah. It's interesting that they would res- not resort that this resource is available to them where they don't have those things accessible. Like Planned Parenthood and stuff like that. That I find interesting, right? Like- I find that really fascinating. And so if I think about here in Toronto and the gay ghetto and the gay neighborhood, there are bathhouses. This is where gay men meet other gay men and they have anonymous sex and sometimes friendships may emerge. You know, people find community within them. Places like the AIDS Committee of Toronto, for example, or mm-hmm. other AIDS service organizations would actually go to the gay bathhouses and actually give out condoms, 
give out pamphlets on safe sex, ah. you know, talk about healthy sexual practices, so forth and so on, because they knew that the spread of HIV and, and AIDS occurred through these major hubs, these bathhouses. So I just think to myself, hmm, if I was some type of social service agency in the Philippines, I'd really be exploring more about how to get proper information out there in the alterverse or the alter Twitterverse in a lot of ways to get good sexual health information. Because sometimes it's a matter of life and death. And sometimes what makes the difference and the cheapest way of actually keeping people healthy and alive is good information. But the fascinating part about all of this is, is that despite it being like a furtive and sexualized community, the community is very quick to correct information as well. And so ah. some of the scholars have talked about how there is a lot of information sharing and challenging of whether information being shared is correct or not. And so that's also an that interesting so part interesting. of this entire digital community, this digital neighborhood or this digital ghetto in some mm -hmm. ways. But again, fascinating. Fascinating that at the end of the day, information about sexuality, sexual practices, sexual health is being provided in this particular forum. And it just tells me too that the Philippines might be lacking in the provision of sexual education, which may actually explain, if you will, high teenage pregnancy rates that continue to exist in the Philippines. Does that still, like that's still a high stat. That's so so if you look at the stats globally, teenage pregnancy is on the decline globally, except yeah. in the Philippines where it's on the incline. What do we know about that? Apart from having to shame people, it's actually giving people proper education and information as opposed to our parents saying, don't have babies until you're like finished school married and have a job and school. married and stuff yeah. like that, right? I mean, that message works for some people for sure, but I don't know that it works for all. And it's fascinating that the alterverse sharing information just really tells us that the Philippines, in terms of sexuality, doesn't give any information about sexuality. And that's a little bit problematic, I think. The other thing that I just kind of want to say before we kind of wrap up today's episode is, is that, you know, sexual politics would suggest that this is a subversive form of acquiring acceptance within Philippine society. And that the alterverse is really a reaction to conservative norms around sexuality in the Philippines. And I would have to say that that's true. And huh. I just think to myself, where a ghetto exists, perhaps a neighborhood will form in the future. And so I have hope. I have hope that the Philippines is going to move to a different idea and thoughts about sexuality. And that perhaps sexual liberation and sexual authenticity and sexual expression will eventually come to Philippine society. So that's kind of like one of the last things I have to say before we kind of get to the fixing of the week. I don't know if there's anything else to add or pause it or quiz. No, um, I want you to go right to the fixing of the, the week because I don't want you to lose the flow. Yeah. Like what you're just like, go for it. Kuya. You know, my fixing of the week, really, when I was doing all the research on all of this and wanting to tell you and our listeners about this unique community is, is that I think of the Madonna song as the fixing of the week, of course. And specifically, I'm thinking of the song Human Nature, where she says, express yourself, don't repress yourself. And so the fixing of the week really is about finding safe ways to express yourself instead of repressing yourself. And I have to say kudos to all these people that are on this virtual masquerade ball slash ghetto slash eventual neighborhood of sexual liberation for finding safe ways of being able to express themselves and finding community there. 
So that's our fixing of the week. Listeners, hello, hello, listeners. We'd love to hear what you think about this episode in particular. Share with us. Email us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at Twitter, our handles at hollowhollowpop, and on Instagram at hollowhollowpopculture. The Hollow Hollow podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Rate us and leave a review. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chel Turingen, and we'll see all of you guys again real soon. See you guys soon. I need a mask. Ha, 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 ha.